Morning. Welcome to Current Yield, Grant's Interest Rate Observer of the Air. I'm Jim Grant, and uh, with me as always is the great Deputy Editor of Grants, Evan Lorenz. And Henry French is our sound engineer, again, as per always, but uh, not per always, but uniquely on this issue of uh, Current Yield, is uh, Craig Moffat, who is the co-founder of uh, Moffat Nathanson, and himself is uh, Wall Street Research uh, Royals, having been selected uh, no fewer than nine times as a number one telecom and, uh, and uh, I don't know, solar powered. I mean, what, what goes with telecom? Cable, cable, and yeah, cable, right. Um, 15 times altogether as an all-American high analyst, but number one, no fewer than nine times. And um, also, um, Craig is um, is a hyphenate. That is someone who does two things. Once, while at Sanford Bernstein, he was selected number one Yeah, in two separate sectors. So that would have been like telecom and then uh, what? Um, I don't know, ballistics or something? Or, uh... No, it was... It was... When cable and satellite and telecom were separate sectors back oh, in the day, okay. they've now been combined. I thought it was something altogether different. And it, well, the idea that uh, that uh, that you would have two separate and distinct interests is uh, certainly follows from the fact that earlier in your career, Craig, you were the founder and president of the e-commerce wing of Sotheby's. So uh, a man of the arts and of the uh, technologies and uh, now of the grants. So. <laughs> well, it's, it's a pleasure to be here. So thank you for, for having me on. Well, you are entirely welcome. Before we get into all things telecom and all things consumer, I want to invite Evan to comment on something that uh, I saw on the World Wide Web. Uh, here's a quotation, unattributed as far as I know, although I have my suspicion who might have said it, but here it is. And Craig, you might listen to this as well. Henry, uh, keep your ears open. Here it is. The people that made money took risks. That doesn't mean that the people that took risks made money. Not bad, huh? It's great. It covers just about every industry. <laughs> I'm thinking I'm thinking that Paul Isaac said that. Paul Isaac uh, is our great good friend. He was the author of the phrase incorrectly attributed or flatteringly misattributed to me. Like, uh, the uh, He's describing treasury bills as uh, or treasury securities as um, return-free risk. That was, uh, I think he had that idea rather early in the bond bull market, but nonetheless, it has stuck around. So um, anyway, anyway um, Craig and Evan, we are here to talk about uh, the peculiar state of things in the telecom world. And what struck Evan and me especially about recent news is that people seem to have stopped paying their phone bills. I mean, who would leave the house without his or her phone? Leave without your left arm, right? If you're left-handed? I'm not used to seeing people walk down the street without staring zombie-like into their cell phones. <laughs> we had a, remember the cartoon we had in the front page of Grants? It was, uh, the scene was outside on Wall Street when we were on Wall Street, just like the bucket shop. No, just like the bucket shop. <laughs> and and, uh, and uh, a, a cop is uh, pointing his finger at somebody who's walking down the street without a cell phone. And the cop says, where's your cell phone? Yeah. Anyway, but the revelation, Evan, is that people, um, to a degree, in a cyclically alarming fashion, are late on their phone bills or not paying their. What's that about? Well, you know, I, it, it's not that they are disconnecting their phone bills, their, their phones. They, the the growth rate of the industry is still actually puzzlingly high. Um, you know, as you say, there's really no one left that doesn't already have a phone. So we've been scratching our head for years over how the growth rate of, of phones is so much faster than the growth rate of population. Maybe we'll talk about that in a little bit. What AT&T saw was just that customers are taking a little longer to pay their bills to the tune of about three days longer 
um, in their the customers' payables, or that is AT&T's receivables, and and that uh, stepped on AT&T's free cash flow a bit. Um, but uh, but it, it hasn't been that we're actually seeing those customers in fact. I think it's just a slight lengthening of, of the collection cycle, and it's probably not to be unexpected. What's what's interesting this time, if we do go into a recession, is just how much of the population is now at least eligible for government subsidies. That's something we've never had before, but by some estimates, there's as much as 40% of the population that could qualify through one means test or another for government subsidies in on broadband, and the broadband subsidies can and are mostly used for cell phones. So, um, so it, we we may not see this. It, it's not as you suggest, not a terribly cyclical um, business anyway. But you may not see it be at all cyclical um, if just given how much subsidy is available in the market. I remember way back when uh, phone bills were a big thing. I, I, I was 17 years old in the Navy, homesick, and I called home collect from Puerto Rico. My father never stopped talking about it. Never. <laughs> I, I, I think I'm old enough to remember uh, the, the, when you would make a phone call after 9 p.m. To, to make sure that you didn't have to pay the higher rates that they would charge right. businesses and that or, sort of thing. Or, or you let the phone ring three times at home. That was a signal to come get you from the party. <laughs> exactly right. Yeah, th those things are, are I, I think, younger generations than ours um, have, have no clue what we're talking about when we sort of tell those kinds of stories. The, the fact that the industry is perhaps less cyclical is surprising if you actually look at the headline multiples of its participants. I, I think Verizon and AT&T trade at kind of a high single digit or a low double digit multiple right now. It, 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 their PE multiples are, are relatively low. Their EBITDA multiples aren't that low. And I think it, it to, to some extent, I think the market, there's a couple of things that go on with the valuation. First, it's it's no surprise that AT&T and Verizon in particular are viewed much more as yield instruments. Um, they're sort of bond surrogates. And so their dividend yield is, is the most important way that they're valued. Um, but it's, it's also the case that I think the market is rather distrustful of the quality of earnings of both companies. And so um, they tend to look through some of the earnings. And, and I think, by the way, usually you can say you look through earnings and focus on free cash flow. If anything, at AT&T, what we've learned is their free cash flow accounting is squirrelier than their earnings accounting. And, um, and their free cash flow estimates have been all over the place, have come down extremely dramatically in a way that you is simply not at all what you'd expect for what is supposedly a, a, a relatively stable business. That actually ties to something that uh, Jim and I were talking about, which is that if you look at the wireless market, it's an oligopoly. It's mostly controlled by three companies, AT&T, Verizon, and T-Mobile. Yet as a group as a whole, they generate subinflationary revenue growth and subinflationary earnings growth, and they trade at low P multiples even if the EBITDA multiples are higher. And when we kind of like look at the tech industry, a lot of tech investors bet that their preferred companies are going to grow to dominate their respective niches and generate monopoly-like margins and garner high multiples. Yet in this market where we seem to have that level of concentration in what is a you know high-tech market, we have extraordinary price competition. Even if um, mobile subs are growing faster than population, they're really not keeping up with inflation at this point. What's wrong with this industry? Yeah, well, th there's a lot to unpack there, and, and, and but you're exactly right. And I think... At, at, Look, at the heart of the, the problem for this industry is, is the fact that these are largely undifferentiated services. 
um, we'll come back to maybe some emerging differentiation on the margin. But they're largely undifferentiated services. Um, and if you were creating the recipe for a business that would have brutal pricing pressure, you would you would concoct a business that has extremely high uh, fixed and extremely low variable cost. Therefore, the marginal cost of each incremental sale is virtually nothing, giving you all kinds of incentives to to discount and promote. Um, the, the market is largely saturated, um, and um, and everybody has excess capacity, and it's capacity that 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 expires the instant it's not used. Um, and that description, in some ways, that industry description fits one other industry maybe better than any other aside from telecom, and that's the airline business. Um, it's a lot like the airline business, right? Which is a seat on a plane to California is largely undifferentiated from any other seat on a plane to California. Um, so, and the marginal cost of of uh, servicing that seat once the plane is going is very low. And therefore, it's an industry that, generally speaking, and notwithstanding this momentary uh, situation we're in right now, where airline seats are very expensive, it's an industry that never earns its cost of capital. Um, and uh, at least over the cycle, it doesn't. And telecom is a lot like that. Um, enormous capital investments, um, but a business that, that tends not to earn its cost of capital. And it tends to be, you know, remember, these are businesses that once upon a time um, were, were not just quasi-monopolies, they were monopolies. Um, and a lot of the leadership in these companies still dates back to the days that this was something like a civil service job. So it's not like you're... The, the 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 people that decided to go into the telecom industry after college or graduate school or or what have you were the sort of the best and brightest of of the tech world. Um, they were sort of quasi civil servants in in the day. Craig, I want to ask about uh, the saturation issue in uh, telecom. You know the the idea that uh, uh, that uh, phone sales are outgrowing population growth. You know, I remember um, uh, bearish arguments. Um, arrayed against the Adidas's and Nikes of yesteryear when it came to be realized that uh, people were buying sneakers as if those people were centipedes. There was so much sneaker growth in a world of only two feet per. And is something like that perhaps at work here? Well, I, you, I, I think most people would concede that there's no particular limit on the number of pairs of shoes that a person can have. Um, for, for telecom, it's a bit different. I, the, the the only plausible explanation for how there are this many new phone sales every year, given population and saturation, and by the way, you, we adjust for the fact that the first time home buyer or the first time phone buyer is getting younger every year and all that sort of thing, and uh, all that's all, all that is considered. It just doesn't. It's not big enough to move the the pile. The explanation is almost certainly that these. The companies offer promotions that make that give customers an incentive to take an additional line that they don't need in order to get a free phone. Um, and so you're you're ready to replace your handset. It's broken or it's just aged out, um, and it's going to cost you say twenty dollars a month uh, in the in what is essentially a financing plan from the carrier to to get a new phone. Or alternatively, you can get it for free if you add an additional line for $15 a month. 
Um, and and the, the the customer service reps and the store personnel at the phone companies will actually be kind enough to even explain to you, you should take the promotion for the add the extra line in return for the free handset. Um, and it'll save you $5 or even $10 a month. And just don't forget to cancel it at the end of two years. And that kind of sort of stuffing of family plans with more and more unnecessary lines industry-wide is why the industry keeps growing at this kind of unsustainable growth rate. So the, the picture you painted is bad with just kind of the oligopoly as it is. You have incredibly high fixed cost and kind of an incentive to discount in order to cover those fixed costs as much as you can. And every time you don't sell like a, a megabyte of bandwidth, that megabyte of bandwidth just expires. But something that you've focused on uh, in the last couple of years is the entrance of uh, cable operators, specifically Charter and uh, Cablevision, coming in and essentially taking a lot of the net subscriber growth in the industry. How are the cable entrants able to, I guess, undercut Verizon and AT&T and take so much market share? Yeah, you know, it's it, it, it's funny, Evan, because it's, it is using Verizon's own network. The, the, the two largest cable operators, Comcast and Charter, both operate an MVNO or mobile uh, virtual network operator, um, meaning that they're basically just reselling Verizon service. Um, and yet they, they can sell it to customers at a fraction of what Verizon sells it for. The reason for that is not because they have lower marginal costs. They don't. Verizon's marginal costs, as I said before, are almost zero. Um, and, and Comcast and Charter's marginal costs are actually relatively high, as, as is always the case with an MVNO when they're buying the, the service wholesale from, in this case, Verizon. But the issue isn't whether their marginal costs are lower, it's whether their prices are lower, because Verizon is hemmed in not by its marginal costs, but by the fact that it charges a lot today and there are an awful lot of calls on the money that it charges, um, in, in particular, servicing its debt and servicing its dividend. So they can't really cut their prices without massively, um, without having to, to take an enormous hit to their, uh, their cash flow and therefore have to cut dividends and the like. Um, so they have to stick with prices that are actually higher than what Verizon or what uh, Comcast or Charter charge, um, even though they're reselling exactly the same service. Now, think about that competitively, right? What a, what a difficult situation it is when it's a poorly kept secret that the service they're selling is not only equivalent to your service, it is your service. And, and yet they are selling it at 20% cheaper than you sell. Th that, that seems to be a difficult position to be in. <laughs> and, and so guess what happens? Customers um, are taking those services in droves, um, and the cable industry is capturing more and more of the, the market share in the industry. And still, by the way, just getting started, the cable industry only had, at the end of last quarter, a little more than 3% of the total industry. So they're just getting started. But, uh, but they have a pricing model that, uh, and, and, and the marketing uh, power that comes along with with the number of customer relationships that they have and the number of media channels that they have access to um, that that says that they have an awful lot of marketing uh, horsepower behind an offer that is cheaper and sort of self-evidently exactly the same. The other thing that's happening in the industry, and in some ways it's even more destabilizing, is you know historically Verizon, was 
as I think almost any of, of your listeners will will immediately recognize, was known as having the best network. They spent two decades advertising America's best network and can you hear me now? And and that was backed up by reality. Verizon really did have the best network, particularly as measured by coverage, um, which especially in the days of voice was what mattered. Your your voice calls were least likely to drop um, and you were most likely to get a signal if you were on Verizon. Um, as, as data has become more important and voice less and less important, um, there's been diminishing differentiation to the point that most people would say in the 4G era, pretty much everybody's network was about the same. Now we're going into a, to an era of 5G where T-Mobile has almost certainly the best network, the best coverage, the deepest spectrum that translates into the fastest um, upload and download speeds, um, and much better coverage because the spectrum is lower frequency. And so in every network test, T-Mobile now dominates in 5G, and yet T-Mobile is 20% cheaper than Verizon or AT&T for the service. <clears throat> now, you know, if you're a mathematician, go and try to solve a problem um, of a sort of Corno equilibrium or something for what market share should be for a player that charges the least and has the best product. The answer is they should take the entire market. Um, now, obviously they won't, but um, but it, it it shows you, I think, just how the industry right now is in this very unstable equilibrium where one player is both the cheapest and the best, um, and that is enormously destabilizing Craig, for where is, where, Verizon and at Where does this leave the dividends of the companies that uh, are trading on dividends in this unstable environment? Precarious. Um, it, the the AT&T, um, I think, curiously, um, committed to a $20 billion free cash flow target when they first divested uh, Warner Media uh, back last year, or announced the divestiture of Warner Media last year. Um, so they they announced a, a twenty billion dollar run rate target. At the time, we looked back, and and they were and they cut their dividend um, from what was then fifteen billion dollars down to eight. So just about a fifty percent dividend cut, and eight billion dollars on a twenty billion dollar free cash flow target looked for the first time to be reasonably comfortable. Except when we did the the math back at the time they announced it, we said we're 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 struggling to figure out how you get to twenty. It looks to us like um, the baseline number is really fourteen, um, still enough to cover the dividend, but nowhere near the kind of comfort level as if free cash flow was twenty. Well, last quarter they cut the the free cash flow target twenty to fourteen. This quarter they cut the free cash flow target from twenty to sixteen. Now they've cut it to 14, and uh, and of that 14, they generated $4 billion in the first half, and they're expecting to generate 10 in the second. Um, the, the fact that their first half run rate was a free cash flow was no higher than the dividend shouldn't give anybody warm fuzzies. Um, this is, these are not businesses um, that are comfortably covering the dividends and uh, and their debt service obligations. On the debt service obligations, we are the interest rate observer, and we've been observing that interest rates have kind of increased this year. 
Um, I think I checked Bloomberg before coming in here, and it says that AT&T owes $155 billion worth of debt. Now, you said that the reason why AT&T and Verizon in particular are having trouble cutting their prices is they need to service their dividend and their debt. What happens to this equation as kind of interest rates rise and that debt servicing cost, assuming interest rates don't crash in the next month or two, uh, continue to eat more of the income that they generate? AT&T um, is the, the largest um, non-financial issuer out there. So um, it is a, an enormous debt pile. And, and while they remember they, they had a very, very costly diversification into media, um, with First Direct TV, which arguably isn't exactly media, but something in generally in that vicinity, and then Warner Media that is is media, and that didn't go very well. Um, they divested those, but when they divested Warner Media, they they paid down a lot of debt, but they also shed a lot of EBITDA to go with it, um, such that their leverage ratio didn't change one iota when they when they divested Warner Media. So they're still just as levered as they were before, which is to say a leverage ratio that's completely um, out of bounds for what would normally be an investment grade credit, given their growth profile. So they don't they don't look remotely investment grade objectively. Um, and uh, and and so you have to, to wonder um, at whether they can sustain both the debt level and the dividend now. Obviously, the dividend um, is discretionary, and servicing the debt is not. So I don't think there's any real risk to the the the, uh, the, the debt service, um, but there's certainly risk to the dividend. Um, and and the risk to the dividend, by the way, is not just as I was describing before um, that that they somehow they, they wake up and their free cash flow isn't enough to cover it. That's a that's a really obvious um, uh, shortfall and um, and it's sort of evident to everybody that you can't sustain a dividend in that circumstance. The more likely problem is simply that the rating agencies um, say, look, it, it is not sufficient for a company that is growing EBITDA at 1% or even negative 1% and levered at what in actuality is north of four times EBITDA um, to sustain your credit rating. And so Either you're going to have to cut your dividend or you're going to be downgraded. And if you're AT&T, that would mean they're, they're one notch above uh, above junk. So we're one, left, one cut left and then they're, they're in, in junk territory. Um, and that's obviously just not feasible for them. Um, and so the real risk to the dividend, again, is not that, uh, that they can't cover it. It's that the rating agencies say, um, you simply cannot continue to, to maintain this level of debt. You have to do something to pay down debt faster, and that means cutting the dividend to reallocate some of that cash to debt retirement. Craig, how is, how is uh, inflation playing out in the field that you are covering now? I noticed that uh, AT&T and Verizon and T-Mobile have uh, very aggressive spending plans out uh, to uh, roll out 5G, et cetera, et cetera. So what's happening to costs? Uh, labor rates and spending plans in the light of this elevated inflation? Yeah, so there's a, there's a number of, of levels to that, Jim. The first, the revenue side, um, as we've talked about before, these companies don't have a lot of pricing power. Um, so T-Mobile, curiously, um, is the one growing EBITDA, uh, ARPU, or average revenue per user, the fastest um, at, at now about 2.5%. Um, and they have not raised prices. So that's 
customer selection, choosing higher value and higher price plans. And I think that speaks to, to them attracting higher value customers on the back of their, their best network. But that's no great shakes in, in a world of, of, of high single digit, almost low double digit inflation. So, um, so it's the best in class, but, but not great. And the revenue growth, uh, the, the revenue inflation for, for Verizon and AT&T is nil. Um, on the cost side though, fortunately for them, most of their costs are relatively fixed. Um, remember they have a big chunk of costs associated with things like leasing telephone cell towers um, and leasing fiber backhaul. Those tend to have fixed escalators. So they're not seeing a lot of inflation. There's probably about a quarter of their cost base that is fully exposed to inflationary pressure. Um, so if you set a quarter of their their base, even if it were going up 10, you're probably seeing two and a half percent growth in their in their cost base or something. Faster than revenue growth, and so you're seeing some margin compression, but it's it's not dramatic. I do wonder. For AT&T, and especially because um, AT&T is unique in this group, in that they're also building a, a substantial fiber optic network. Some would say years years after they should have, but they're they're finally expanding their wired fiber network as part of their their wireline footprint. Um, and there, I expect you're going to see enormous cost inflation. Um, not only because of all the supply chain issues that are affecting any other issue, any other industry, but also because you've now got all these companies that are talking about fiber builds. Um, so you've got the overbuilders who are planning to target the broadband market to compete with cable. So companies like AT&T, but also Frontier and Lumen and Windstream and Shentel and, and you name it, Consolidated. Um, but you've also got um, a $42.5 billion under the infrastructure bill aimed at building broadband in rural America that's going to be competing for exactly the same labor and exactly the same equipment to build fiber. You've got all of the companies building their 5G networks who are competing for exactly the same labor and exactly the same equipment to bring fiber to small cells and what have you. And my, my expectation is you're going to see runaway inflation in the cost of, of network construction, fiber building essentially, um, mostly because the labor crews, there just aren't enough people trained to be to be fiber stringers and, and installers. Indeed, a fast word from our gracious sponsor. You know, no one has a business like yours. With all its strengths and challenges to succeed, you need a hiring partner that adapts to your needs. You need Indeed. So Indeed is the hiring platform where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites searching for candidates with the right skills, Indeed's a powerful hiring partner that can help you do it all. Find great talent faster through time-saving tools like Indeed Instant Match assessments and virtual interviews. Uh, With uh, Instant Match, over 80% of employers get quality candidates whose resume on Indeed matches his or her job description the moment that they sponsor a job according to Indeed Data US. So, um... Try Indeed. 
It's the hiring platform you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place instead of spending hours on multiple job sites searching for candidates with the right skills. Indeed's a powerful hiring partner that can help you do it all. So find great talent faster through time-saving tools like Indeed Instant Match assessments and virtual interviews. With Instant Match, over 80% of employers get quality candidates whose resume on Indeed matches their job description the moment they sponsor a job according to Indeed Data US. So, uh, hey, start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash grant. That's offer good for a limited time. That's claim your $75 credit now at Indeed.com slash grant. That's Indeed.com slash grant. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Uh, Craig, uh, just to go back on something you said a bit earlier, you think the... Um I, I guess uh, come to God moment for AT&T is when the rating agencies, when either Moody's or S&P says your dividends unsustainable will downgrade you to sub-investment grade. You are the best analyst in the telecom space. Do you talk to the dead investors? And if so, are they paying attention to any of this? Do they, are they aware of the paper that they own? Yes. Um, to both of those, yes. Um, we talk to the credit investors in the industry all the time. Um, and they are fully aware of the issue. But again, it, 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 it is, it's an unusual issue in that it doesn't pose an enormous risk to them um, because they know that they are, are senior to the dividend. And, um, and so the, the real risk is to the dividend. You know, it, it, it's funny, more for AT&T than for Verizon. Um, the equity investors in AT&T tend to be largely retail, which is... You know, not what you think of. This is, you know, when you think of retail investors, a lot of people may think of GameStop and and sort of small cap, um, sort of attention companies as they've been as they've been named. AT and T is actually a company where the institutional sponsorship of AT and T as an equity is not terribly good. Um, I think a lot of of the institutional investors have looked at it and said it's just not a terribly attractive equity. Um, but, but for lots of, of retail accounts, and it's not, it, it's a lot of, um, uh, managed retail accounts, as you can imagine, there are plenty of brokers out there who will say, I can put my client into AT&T and, and clip the coupon for the dividend. Um, and no one's ever going to say that I was taking undue risk or doing anything unwise. Um, and so it's a very safe and easy choice for a lot of retail brokers and, and and we find that to be the case. So so among our client base, which is entirely institutional, um, you won't find a lot of people that are sort of saying, "Gee, I think AT and T looks great." Um, it's it's hard to find sophisticated investors who actually are even interested in AT and T. Um, but there are a lot of retail uh, investors who own it. Um, it's a little different for Verizon. Um, Verizon also though tends to be outside of income funds that almost have to own Verizon and, and, and AT&T because their dividends are so high. Um, most institutional funds are just not terribly interested in, in these companies. It is strange to think of AT&T as a $130 billion bucket shop stock. <laughs> <laughs> so one thing you pointed out is that cell phone unit growth has outpaced population growth for some time, in part because Verizon and AT&T push, you know, the marginal user to take up an extra phone. This has actually helped propel kind of the Apples and Samsungs of the world to sell more phones. 
But I seem to recall in the second quarter call of Verizon, they said, or one of the things they said is they had too much inventory, they need to get rid of it. What are you seeing, I guess, in terms of unit demand for cell phones? Was it pulled forward during the Great Recession? And if so, is there going to be a payback period going forward? Well, you know, first remember for the handset companies, they they are, in fact, it's really dead. It's a two-horse race now. It's, it's Apple and Samsung. And you couldn't have two more global companies. So what happens in the U.S.? Um, certainly isn't the be-all and end-all of, of those companies. Um, that said, I do think the, the U.S. market, um, it, it actually saw um, some extending of phone lives during the crisis um, in that people weren't leaving their homes, and so they weren't going to stores where they typically, people still typically go into a retail store in order to upgrade their phone um, and try out the new models and decide whether they like the the iPhone 13 Pro or the iPhone 13 regular better. Um, and uh, th that process slowed down. And so the, the life of phones extended a bit. Coming out of the cycle, there was, there was a, a bit of a, of a bump in the refresh rate of those devices. Um, but it tends to be very much driven by what the promotional activity at the carriers. And, you know, I, I've, I've described Verizon as the, the quote-unquote elder statesman of the industry and in that when AT&T started getting hyper-aggressive about offering discounts on phones um, after the end of the pandemic or the, the end of the worst part of the pandemic, um, Verizon tried not to, um, and they really hoped that they could stand on their laurels as best network and not get dragged into a tit-for-tat war of massive subsidies for, for handsets again, back to the bad old days of pre-2013 pre um, when the industry was sort of addicted to handset subsidies. Um, they found that they weren't able to avoid it. They've been dragged in because their, their net growth metrics just got worse and worse and worse without it. Um, and so now the industry is in this, this cycle of heavily subsidizing handsets again. Um, and, and the winner in uh, a handset subsidy cycle is Apple. Um, you know, who, who, who nobody likes anything better than having somebody else pay your customers to buy your product. Um, Craig, uh, you know, long before indexation became such a thing, um, there was a kind of a cynical saying on Wall Street about analysts that saying went something like this. This is a uh, analysts, yeah. In a, in a bull market, you don't need them. In a bear market, you can't afford them. So how's business at Moffitt Nathanson? Hey, you know, I, I think, Knockwood, we've been very fortunate. Um, as you know, Jim, we, we, we became an independent um, research firm, uh, all of us leaving our respective shops, a lot of us from, from Sanford Bernstein, back in 2013 um, with a model that said, we thought uh, a pure research model, no trading um, and none of the sort of ancillary stuff, that it was just that we thought that, that our clients would pay us for pure, for pure research. Um, that has worked out really well. Um, we've been fortunate um, in, the last, in the last year, as it became clearer that, that um, you know, we, we were from the beginning a TMT focused shop um, and the, the the theme of TMT has been identifying the real early stage growth opportunities for clients 
in a way that was very difficult for us to do independently. Um, and so last year we were acquired by Silicon Valley Bank, which has um, tremendous visibility into the, the innovation economy and gives us the opportunity to sort of partner with, think of them as sort of the top of the funnel of um, with relationships with a huge percentage of uh, of the early stage growth companies in America. And, um, and we are in the enviable position now of being able to identify some of those early stage growth companies that we would like to show to our clients. Um, and so business actually is, is quite good. We're in the midst of a, transi a transition um, to, uh, to now being a, a part of, of Silicon Valley Bank. Um, and um, I think that's actually going to work out extremely well for our clients. I think that, that there's a lot of upside for our clients in, in that relationship. All right. Well, Craig Moffat, thank you. This, uh, this has been uh, most edifying. And uh, you know, thank you, Henry. Thank you, uh, Evan. And uh, again, to our guest and all American in the eyes of I.I., but to Grants and all star. So uh, thank you, Craig. Talk soon. Very, very kind of you to say, and it's a, it's a real treat. I'm a huge fan of, of both of yours. So thank you for having me on. Okay. And thank you, listeners. We'll talk soon. This is Grants Interest Rate Observer of the Air on behalf of The Current Yield. Mm -hmm.